Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined once again by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Synchronise. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. So there we have it, another eclectic trio of men. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week, we have our number 70s. Boss fight. But before we do that, guys, do you do you fancy uh, taking a trip to see some comedy that was particularly big in the 90s? Because I've got three tickets to Eddie Quizard. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> so the scores are level going into this round. In the anthropomorphic virtual village simulator Animal Crossing, oh. what is the fictional currency? Else. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I mean, Minty has pulled ahead. Much like a overzealous... Cu- no, it didn't, no, it doesn't work. Like an overzealous phrenologist. <laughs> you have pulled ahead. Yes. <laughs> Teamwork. So, before we crack on with the rankings, what have we been playing in this last week? Minty? I haven't had that much time to play video games this week because now that i'm an adult whenever i receive a setback in life like i don't know uh, losing my job or my wife being deported instead of just sitting there feeling like a useless piece of shit and playing video games i've just been like powering through and trying to make positive changes to make the best of the situation oh i played one level on mario maker which was really cool the basic premise of the level is you are an interrogator and you have to negotiate with a Goomba to get its key. <laughs> okay, I right? like this. And you basically just have to sit there for 50 seconds. It's almost like you're role-playing, sitting in the chair being like, right, what do you want? So you sort of t- turn the chair so that the back is sort of facing you and you'd, you'd straddle right. it. But you just basically just have to wait there for 50 seconds and pretend you're being like, oh, you know, what are your demands? And then you get the key. But if you cross the table and you attack the Goomba, it becomes impossible for you to get the key. Ah. And if you sort of go right to the end of the room, you can see that whatever the mechanism is to deliver the key is sort of on a timer on rails. And if you go past a certain point, it knocks away a, like a crucial buzzy beetle shell, which means that the, the loop isn't completed. Very clever. And Yeah, is the level called Good Mario, Bad Mario? No, it's called... Mario Wario. <laughs> Anywho, that level reference is GDV... LXK8HG. Enjoy. Chris, what have you been playing this week? I've been playing a game from the, the early days of the Switch eShop called Tumble Seed. Ooh, yes. It was a, a game that launched really early on. It was meant to be a good showcase for HD Rumble, which alongside 1-2 Switch is pretty much the only game that uses it in any <laughs> sort of real capacity. You essentially, you control a big long bar that goes across the screen with your left analog stick moving the bar up one side, your right analog stick moving it up the other side, and you're balancing kind of a little ball character as you move up the screen. So it becomes just about using your kind of dexterity to avoid obstacles or pick things up or maneuver a path through levels. And it kind of has like a, a roguelike wrapper put over the top of it. So each each time you start a new stage, you can pick up different power-ups or or you make some sort of long-term progress which sticks to your character, but also stuff that you're, you're kind of doing on each run-through, as it were. But it's really, really nice. And it's got a lovely art style. 
And yeah, I, I would recommend it if anyone wants something very, very different, but also quite difficult. So you've got, you've got to be uh, willing to give it some time. As myself, this week, I sort of ran out of steam a little bit with Super Mario Maker after having not played it for a week when I was away. So I have been playing several mobile games and it's a little, little series of games by a chap called Arnold Rowers, who makes games with a company called Tiny Touch Tales. And particularly, he's made these three card games that are single-player solitaire games, essentially, but they all have very specific mechanics. So there's the one called Card Crawl, which is essentially a dungeon crawler that you play just through a deck of cards. Then there is Card Thief, which is a stealth game that you play, again, through a deck of cards, trying to hide from enemies and put out torches and everything and then there's miracle merchant where you are mixing potions to serve customers and again it's a solitaire based card game and they're all really really good they're really good mm. they rec- they're incredibly deep they have great art style and really really well built games as well really lovely animations and style and personality and yeah if you're looking for a solo card game to play on your mobile check out those I think cards are a really great mechanic in video games. Me too, me too. And I've got a lot more accepting of it, probably since I started playing Dark Souls board game, which is, you know, Mm. card-based. Because I always used to be a bit disappointed when a new RPG would be announced and it'd be like, oh, and the battle's like card system. And I'd be like, oh, no, I just want normal turn-based. But (laughs) consider me finally learned. So moving on to the rankings. Starting this week, we have my game. Let me tell you about my 70th favourite video game of all time. I'd love that. My 70th favourite video game is the first mainline game to appear in our lists from a very renowned series. Ah. It is the first core Pokemon game. Oh, Oh, wow. And I know we have Pokemon Snap from yourself, Minty. Yes, and Pokemon Rumble World. And Pokemon Rumble World. And Pokemon Stadium, actually. And Pokemon Stadium. (laughs) This is the... Third Pillar Generation 8 game, Pokemon Ultra Sun. Oh, That's a mouthful. Okay. So this is the Third Pillar Generation 8 game. So it is the pseudo-sequel to Pokemon Sun and Moon, much in the same way that there was Pokemon Yellow to Pokemon Red and Blue. There was Pokemon Crystal for Pokemon Gold and Silver. Then there was Emerald for Ruby and Sapphire. Then there was Platinum for Diamond and Pearl. Then there was Black and White 2 for Black and White. Then, weirdly, we had just X and Y with no third pillar game. And then we got Sun and Moon followed by Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. And this game is the version that I got, which was Ultra Sun. And I do think that it is the superior version of the game to the standard vanilla Sun and Moon. Much in the same way that I think actually pretty much all of the third pillar games are. Yeah, Sun and Moon weren't very good. Well, I disagree. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) And you're going to find out why. (laughs) I'm excited to. So there were some quality of life improvements to the game, but there was also a huge amount of post-game content that was added in that really provided incentive to continue playing after you'd beaten the the kind of the main the main story. I mean, it's still nothing compared to Pokemon Gold's post-game content, which is obviously the entire of Pokemon Red and Blue. And I'm sure, I mean, we're never going to see anything like that again, unfortunately, probably, unless we get a remake of Gold and Silver at some point, which would be nice, Nintendo, please. Obviously, like with all third-pillar generation Pokemon games, this was based very heavily around the original Pokemon Sun and Moon games, which even though they weren't 
the best received of all of the games. I think they did some amazing things to breathe new life into a potentially stagnating format. And whilst not all of those things were necessarily successful, I think it was really, really good to see that Game Freak were willing to push the series in new directions. So the biggest thing in this game was that Game Freak said goodbye to typical gym battles and that journey that saw your character go on to be the the very best. (laughs) And instead, they really kind of focused in on the setting of the game, which was on a series of islands loosely based around sort of Polynesian cultures, Hawaii and, and, and that sort of thing. So instead of having gym battles, you had instead island challenges which were specific setups with unique challenges to that particular island and they would mirror the nuances in the cultural differences between those islands mostly though they would take the form of some sort of puzzle solving strategic battling item finding and then would culminate in a big showdown between you and the island's kahuna which is essentially the gym leader and then you'd win the challenge and move on to the next island. I mean, in and of itself, it wasn't a massively different set of ideas than what there was in the traditional gym setup. But the way that they presented it, I think, was was good in the fact that it made it feel different and original. But like I said, it wasn't actually that much different. Some of the other new features that I really, really loved were the inclusion of ride Pokemon that replaced the traditional HM setup from previous games. So, so this meant that in order to perform certain gameplay abilities rather than just executing a series of menu commands that you would do to pick the Pokemon with the right HM to then go across the sea. Instead, you had to actually summon a Pokemon into the game, jump on its back and physically control what you needed to do. And and that was really, really good fun. And it added a sense of scale to the Pokemon and the world and also made the Pokemon themselves feel a lot more alive and interactable. And particular favourite was the Machamp that you got as a ride (laughs) Pokemon because you couldn't really jump on his back as a piggyback. And so he just carries you, cradling you in his multiple (laughs) arms. And I think it's true to say that the protagonist has never felt so entirely held. (laughs) (laughs) Such a warm, rocky embrace. Exactly. And speaking of which, I also really enjoyed the Pokemon refresh system. So after a battle, you could clean up and heal your Pokemon from any status ability. So if it had been poisoned or paralyzed, you could get out some medicine and help it feel better. Or if it got really dirty in a fight with a ground Pokemon, you could brush it off. And again, it was a really nice way of replacing previously menu-based commands so instead of going okay go to my items get a paralyzed heal put it on that pokemon next it was actually a process that made you interact with the pokemon and 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 i i I thought that that process would get boring and i'm surprised at how little i was actually bored by it and i think a lot of that goes down to the the real brilliance that went into the pokemon's animations so that every interaction you had with any one of the like thousand pokemon that were in there made it feel that they were responsive to you and your individual commands and your individual actions. And it really, you know, made it feel like it was a, a pet you were caring for. And and that, that was really nice because they always had like little specific sweet spots to sort of like give it give it a stroke and, and it would get really happy. 
And it was always nice when, say, you had your starter Pokemon, it would evolve and then it'd be like, oh, actually, hang on a minute, this is a bit different now and I need to find mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, no, it doesn't really like being scratched behind the ears anymore. It likes, likes a nice little tickle under the chin. And, and, and that, was, uh, <laughs> that was really lovely. Probably my favourite new feature introduced in the game was the Pokepelago. Pokepelago! It was a series of islands, different islands, and you could send your Pokemon to that otherwise would have just sat dormant in your PC box and again it was a streamlined more interesting way to replace previously stale gameplay mechanics so if you wanted to level up your pokemon instead of having to remember where the pokemon daycare center was pull up an hm to fly there get on your bike to to ride there drop him off remember where it was again and after about 10 hours remember to go back find it see how it was getting on find out it only grown like two levels and then forget about it again for another 10 hours or whatever you could just send your pokemon off to a training session on an island you could check in with them whenever they want you could keep them going you could take them out of there and there were other other things that it replaced as well. So if you wanted your Pokemon to grow in happiness, you could send it off to like a hot spring or you could send your Pokemon off to hunt for treasure. And it really made all of those Pokemon that you had sat in your PC actually feel like they had a purpose and a use. And that was really, really nice. And again, another way of making all of your Pokemon feel interactable. And it actually made these additional features feel like an addition to your experience rather than just a distraction or something that was thrown in just for the sake of having something new. I'm not going to bother talking about all the things that they added in that I didn't like or ways that I think they got it wrong because uh, I like to be positive. Hmm. That's good. For me though, the reason why the ultra versions of the game pipped it over the original game was the deeper focus on the ultra beasts in the game. Now, the ultra beasts were essentially a totally different form of Pokemon. They were sort of extraterrestrial and arrived from another dimension and they were really central to the story of the game. And I think the design of them is some of the best design work I've seen on Pokemon. And because they were from another dimension, they really, really looked it. They were so weird, so bizarre, and they absolutely defy all of the design rules that Game Freak had set up with the existing array of a thousand Pokemon. So they totally went against anything you could think of. And I think it was brilliant. And it really made me want to find out more about them. Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon really allowed you to do that with the new post-game content. So they added in some new Ultra Beasts that were just brilliant and weird. And you also had to go and hunt some down through wormholes and actually go into and see parts of their dimension and hunt them out from there and see their natural habitat and it was just it was fantastic and to be honest i, I wanted even even more than i got of it mm. from from ultra sun and ultra moon all in all i think it's a game that did amazing new things for the series it was totally chock full of content really raised the bar for the next pokemon games and which we've obviously now found out is probably a bar that can't be met <laughs> like having <laughs> having you know the best part of a thousand pokemon in handheld game that all had incredibly detailed animations and data sets and everything and allowed you to interact with them in so many different ways and with each other it is totally mind-blowing how much content is actually in ultra sun and ultra moon that i don't blame them for saying you know what guys can't go on like this Mm. (laughs) unfortunately from the looks of it generation nine is going to thin out a lot of the pokemon 
And I think that's a huge aim because in Ultra Sun, I think the world of Pokemon never felt more alive or enticing and, a, you know, a world that I wanted to explore more. And, you know, I, I really do hope that they pull it out of the bag and actually they've got a whole load of stuff up their sleeves for Sword and Shield. But uh, we shall see. But for now, yeah, Pokemon Ultra Sun is my 70th favorite video game. I'm glad that you had such a good time with Ultra Sun. I, I, I didn't get Ultra Sun or Ultra Moon. I, I got Pokemon Sun. And to be honest, I was a, quite disappointed with it because aside from Pokepelago, which I think was the only thing that to me had any kind of sort of thought put into it, so much stuff in the game just felt tacked on. Like the Ultra Beasts in Pokemon Sun, that was just like, oh, they're new and they're weird, and you can get them after the Elite Four. Okay, great. That that thing where you could sort of take a photo of Pokemon. Oh, that was a waste. You can take photos of Pokemon and then upload them, and then people can sort of give you ratings, but nobody did. Just give us a new Pokemon Snap game. That's what we actually yeah. wanted. It did, however, give us the best character in all the Pokemon games, which is Nanu, the world-weary borderline despondent dark type police officer he's great loved yeah. him a lot the only thing that i really did like aside from pokepelago was instead of just repeating the elite four over and over again as if you're stuck in a time loop once you became the champion you were the champion and then you would sit on your champion's throne and a new challenger would come and it could be like one of maybe 15 different people. Mm. Like that was really great. Really, really good. Really, really good. The point where I was like, I don't like Pokemon Sun as a game was when I realized that trainer battles were just bloated wild Pokemon battles because no trainer in the game had more than one Pokemon. That's not true. I mean, maybe one or two had more, like you oh, know, the, the boss Minty, people. This, or... this, is, this sounds like libel. It's certainly true for the trainers you just meet on, on routes. I've just found a forum post saying, why do trainers only have like one or two Pokemon? This was posted a year ago by someone called Angry Minty. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we have it. Pokemon Ultra Sun. Not to be confused with the game that Minty hates, which was Pokemon Sun. Two totally different <laughs> games. <laughs> I now know how you feel, Chris, when I talked about Turok. <laughs> this is why we do this. This is why we have our individual lists, because they are not going to be like anybody else's. Certainly not like each other's, unless it's fantasy life. <laughs> yeah. So, moving on. Minty, why don't you tell us what your 70th favourite video game is then? I'd love to. So last week we talked about our, our summertime video game memories and experiences. And because I had this game sort of, you know, in the chamber... I was like, oh, well, I can't really talk about it. But then looking into it a little, I realized that I couldn't really talk about it because it came out in October. The game had a summery feel to it. And it's a first uh, in many ways. It's it's the first game in my list, which is a game from a, uh, a renowned game series. And uh, until 10, 15 minutes ago, it was the first core game from this particular series. <laughs> <laughs> My 70th video game is Pokemon X. Is it now? Yeah, yeah. You were there when the whole world was whipped into a frenzy about Pokemon X because it was the very first core Pokemon game that had analog movement. Mm. Because until then, the uh, the entire Pokemon universe was locked into some kind of cardinal directional nightmare <laughs> where you could only go left, right, up or down. Yeah, it was just a really nice game to play through. A very nice Pokemon game. 
it didn't really bring that much that was new, apart from, as I said, being able to move at a 30 degree angle instead of a 90 degree angle. But it was absolutely a Pokemon game. A little lad, a little ass goes off with a, with a fiery, watery or grassy friend, none of which uh, I thought were very good. So as soon as Professor Sycamore, weirdly hot, but as soon as he gave you one of the three Kanto starters, I was like, goodbye. What was his name? Fennekin. Aww. And hello, Charmander, because this was the generation that Mega Pokemon were around. A gimmick that is, I think, certainly superior to Zed moves. Oh, absolutely. But the one thing that this generation was noted for was bringing in the new fairy type. Ah, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, to bring some extra balance to the force. Which I still don't think... I'm on board with. I don't know why they decided to call it fairy type because it would have made sense if they'd have called it light. I guess so, yes. And it would have been a bit cooler. You would have had light and dark types. And there could have been some amazing light switch Pokemon that was both light and dark type. Oh, And it had some, cool. some sort of characteristic that was either on or off. Oh, Nintendo, hire this man. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. But yeah, I didn't really like fairy Pokemon that much because they were brought in because dragon Pokemon... Still too overpowered. But I think what they should have done was just rebalanced ice Pokemon. Because when you think about it, what, what is a dragon? It's just a posh lizard. <laughs> and lizards, cold-blooded. Yes. So it's, it naturally follows that they would be weak to ice. And to each other, because you, you, you've seen Komodo dragons fight. Many times. I think the only reason dragons were so overpowered is because ice types were so underpowered. I mean, you know, we, we all use an Articuno in Pokemon Red. That was kind of the apex of it, because they were weak to so many things, resistant to so little, and not really very useful. But I think if you just sort of twisted some of the resistances... Like make them make them super effective against fighting and take away their weakness to rock, let's say, then that would have been enough. But instead, they had to make it so that like a big dragon would get taken down by a Jigglypuff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's got the the most powerful Pokemon ever in it, which is Aegislash. Oh, Aegislash is a brilliant Pokemon. Absolute beast. I love Aegislash. You you sort of crawl around in the grass and be like, oh, here's a rat. Here's a, here's a little, here's a little like wild dog. Oh, here's a haunted sword. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real cohesive Pokemon because of its ability. So if you attacked a Pokemon, it would go into attack form. But if you use a defensive move, it would pop the shield on its chest and its stats would change. So it would become a much more defensive Pokemon. Amazing. And also uh, it had the precursor to Pokemon Refresh. Pokemon Ami. Yes. You could give your Pokemon a rub or... Find out where it's Willy was. <laughs> yeah many an evening was spent trying to get charmad to get its lipstick poking out <laughs> pokemon x uh a an ex an extremely satisfactory continuation of a beloved franchise nicely rode the curve of the development of Pokemon games in general. Moving on, lastly, but certainly not leastly, we have Chris. 
Please, can you tell us what your 70th favourite Pokemon game is, please? <laughs> My choice is not a Pokemon game, and it's in the same way that I hadn't played those Pokemon games, I'd be quite surprised if either of you had played this game, but I, I could be proved wrong, you never know. As a question, as a preamble, do you like going for a walk, you two? Do you like walking? Love a walk, sometimes. Yeah. It's nice, nice having a walk, isn't it? Get out and about. Mm. What, what do you think about the trend in the last, say, I don't know, five years or so that we've had these walking simulators termed for games like Gone Home and Dear Esther and stuff like that? I've enjoyed them very much. It's come to define essentially first-person narrative games, isn't it? Which which have no, Absolutely. no action-based gameplay, essentially. It's purely about a story that, that you pick your way through. And this game is very much a walking simulator, but is even less action or narrative driven than any of those ones I just mentioned because it is literally just about walking uh, and it's called Proteus if anyone has ever heard of Proteus I think that silence <laughs> denotes that the answer is a resounding no so yeah it's a game I think it predates some of those ones I mentioned it came out in I think 2013 so about five, six years old. And it's a game that at the time, I think people either really, really enjoyed or really, really hated. And it's kind of the very definition of that sort of Marmite game. That's if you subscribe to the idea that it's really a game at all. It's, it's one of those that I think lots of people argued about at the time because it was the beginning of this idea of, you know, games could start moving in a different direction. Proteus, it's, it's a walking game and it's a walking game about nature and about I don't know, like the, the inherent sort of spirituality that nature has about it and the connection we have to just the wider natural world. And, and playing it, like each time you pick it up, if you do play it, it lasts about an hour, the full game. That can be kind of extended or prolonged if you want it to. But you're essentially, you're dropped into an island or just beside an island that's created procedurally each time. It's created using a really limited colour palette a really deliberately low resolution and yet it's still something that's really really stunning to look at it has a very sort of painterly artistic quality to it and you just start walking you just start moving around like nothing will happen unless you you begin to actually move about so as you as you walk along you kind of just allow like the flora and the fauna to pass you by you start realizing that the things you walk past kind of influence the the score in the background like the musical score and then after a certain point in time, the surroundings then start to kind of alter in such a way that you're drawn towards a certain point in the island. So kind of a, like a path of light almost will, will pull you towards a certain direction. And then when you enter that, the whole island will transition to the next season, like of the four seasons. So, so winter, spring, summer and autumn. So you just move through and, and each time the palette will change, the music shifts slightly. And then you find yourself again, just exploring and walking around kind of this island in its new state. What I really liked about playing it and what makes me come back to it is that because you are just walking in the same way that sometimes you might just go out without any real direction for while you're walking in real life, you, you start to feel that a little bit about this game as well, that it's not a massive island that you're plonked down on, but you can just take things at your own pace, find little pathways, find kind of like little little you know areas of shrub or, or woodland or whatever. And there's kind of there's Easter eggs to find, but not in a like it's a funny joke Easter egg way more just that you realize maybe that if you follow certain animals uh, it will you know lead you towards certain things or you can sort of compose rudimentary little melodies by passing by little stones and trees and all this stuff it adds up to just be a really peaceful relaxing game that i've never really played anything quite like it because even those other games like i said the walking simulators they have a purpose in that they are still guiding you through a narrative that you know there's like an end result or an end goal that they want you to get to eventually yeah whereas in this you you just move essentially when you reach the final season you you walk as you have done across all the previous ones and eventually your character just starts to kind of ascend and move upwards through through kind of the clouds into the sky 
and you get enveloped by like a light that I, I don't know if it's meant to be, uh, you know, suggesting that it's connected to kind of religion or spirituality, like I said, or the idea of mortality or, or reincarnation, because you can, in a sense, just keep playing on new islands again and again with different topology and different kind of layout and composition. But it feels more that the whole game is just about we have kind of our own internal rhythms, like the way the human body is. When we walk, we've got kind of like, you know, almost like a marching beat to ourselves. And I, th- I think it's a game that just feels like it's about our place within the world as as living beings. It's very high concept, despite the fact it offers you nothing outside of just the, the visuals that you, that you see and the sound you hear. When I first played it, I played it on the PC. My mum walked in at the time and saw what I was playing. And that despite the fact she's generally totally disinterested in gaming, completely always has been throughout my whole life, saw it kind of shift from one season to the next and then just stayed for the whole time, like the whole hour and watched, watched the game through. Amazing. And I think it's, it's a real audiovisual treat. Like it's, it's something that's really nice to kind of sit through and experience, even if you're not the one kind of controlling it. So it, it kind of almost feels like it's just a screensaver, but it, it does actually make you feel something. It's, it's hard to kind of describe what it, what it kind of does. It's a very weird game for that. And it's one that I play, you know, not every day, but it's one I've come back to reasonably often. And a few years back, it got a port to the Vita, despite the fact that it's a handheld with, you know, a reasonably small screen. The, the colours really pop, and with headphones on, it's, it's a really good way to kind of go back to it and just kind of lose yourself for an hour. And it's, it's just a really nice meditative experience. It does sound lovely. It's something that I had not heard of and would certainly be interested to have a look at it. And I'm, I may well be. It's on Steam for quite cheap, or it was last time I checked anyway. So that's probably the best way to pick it up these days. So that wraps it up for another week. We have the three Ps, Pokemon Ultra Sun, Pokemon 10, and Pokemon Rotius. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like and subscribe, share us on social media, leave us a review. You can reach out to us if you like. If you go to Facebook, search for Our Three Cents and you can find us there. Or if you'd like to reach out to us individually, you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at Chaz underscore Hodges. In the same way that you find that you've stepped on a dog turd, you can find me at Minty Booth. And please do join us next time for our number 69s. Ooh, the sex number. <laughs> <laughs>